Today is the day to wake, work, and win. Welcome to The Standard. Hey Dave, thanks for being here. Thanks Tom, thanks for having me. So Dave, for those who don't know you, you spent a lot of your time West Point. Uh, you went to school there, and you played football there. So you know that's a, that's a place where I think leadership is huge. Uh, they promote it, they coach it. Uh, you see it in probably you know in the schooling part of of West Point, uh, military side of it, but also you're going to see it on the football team that you played. What are some of the biggest leadership lessons that you learned during your time at West Point? Well, I think being part of athletics, first of all, early on, you're part of a team. And that's where you start kind of learning what leadership is, what teamwork is, hard work, essentially, because that, that dictates your actions moving forward. And you learn goal accomplishment, how to better yourself through the team aspect and through those sports. So at West Point, I had the opportunity to go there. And that was one of those opportunities um, that presented itself that had to do a lot of soul searching as an 18-year-old that's what I wanted to do. I didn't have any family that was in the military before. So that was, that was foreign to me. It wasn't anything that I was comfortable with. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a union plumber. So when I had the opportunity to go to West Point and pursue that, it was something that, you know, as an 18 year old, you have to commit the next essential nine years of your life as a student. And then as a military officer after that, but it was one of those things where I knew even at that age that if I didn't take that opportunity, um, that I'd regret it. If I didn't at least step up to that challenge for myself, um, that I'd always regret that. And that was a big kind of turning point in my life, you know, being able to, I guess, just address that or meet that challenge just to say, yes, I want to do this. Another big part of, you know, going to West Point was, you know, learning leadership in a lot of different levels. I mean, you're taught from day one your main mission as a leader or an army officer, which the goal is, is to take care of your soldiers or the members of your organization. And that is driven in from day one. Um, now, it's up to you to interpret how to do that best because every organization is different, every team dynamic's different. Um, but what I started to learn was that the best thing that I can do for the people that I work with now or in the future was I needed to take that ownership on myself and make myself the most knowledgeable person um, to keep myself fit and to push myself to live up to those high standards and anchor it back to, to values, again, that we learned at the academy, that you learn through sports, but being cognizant of that. So that, I think that was the big part of that you learn from West Point is taking care of you know, your soldiers, the members of your organization, but then on the other end, having to go through and actually perform all this stuff yourself. You learn that challenging yourself on a daily basis helps you get better. And if you can help yourself get better, then you can help others as well. So after your time in the military, you start starting your fire service career, and now you're at Denver Fire. And I'm sure you come across people, whether it be new leaders or people new in the organization, that haven't had the same experiences of almost coming to enjoy those challenges because you know you're getting better. They see them as threats. As a leader, how do you kind of steer them in the right direction and, and maybe even show them the benefits of that? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more big part of it is modeling the behavior yourself. So I'm a big advocate of that. And I'm not comfortable being a leader by saying, hey, do this and sit back and watch. I try to hold myself to modeling that behavior, you know, that I expect in others. I don't like telling people how they should do things. I like showing them. As a parent, you kind of learn that early on. You can tell your kids stuff all day long, but it's what they see you do on a daily basis is what they're going to remember and what they're going to actually take with them. But it's also being vulnerable, you know, when we go out and do training, when you talk about things that maybe you're not comfortable with. Shoot, it's all about getting reps in yourself. I mean, a lot of the stuff we do, there's some diminishing skills. So if it hasn't been a long time since you forced that door or did, you know, some of these longer hose lays or, you know, throwing ladders, and you need to get the reps in yourself. And I think by putting yourself in those vulnerable situations where you screwed up sometimes allows everyone to, hey, it's okay, we don't have to be perfect, but we're gonna go out there and try and try to get better together as a team. Failing together helps because it acknowledges that we're all on the same page and we're trying to get better. But we can also, there's a bonding aspect to that. That's why, you know, I'm such an advocate of trying to train together. You know, I like to work out in groups as well. I think that develops a bond. We can't schedule a fire to go on, but you know how it feels when we come back from one or a cool call. There's that gelling together that happens, that camaraderie that happens, that we've just accomplished something. We've just put to work everything we've been practicing, and it's special. All right, Dave, so back to football for a little bit. You know, that's that's a team. Working on the fire department's a team, I think it's very similar. I think we could both, everybody here at this table could attest that being part of a team is very similar uh, in any industry, whether it's on the football team or or it's uh, in the fire station. But I'm curious, so like, what do you think is the best way to deal with those on a team that just don't have 100% buy-in, that aren't there for the right reasons? That's a great question, and I don't know if we ever found the right answer because you're dealing with so many personalities. But you recognize that there's different tactics that you can take with different people that resonate with them. A lot of people don't respond to that in-your-face approach. I think it's human, human nature to automatically be defensive. But what I've seen is, and what I try to use myself, is more of a coaching aspect. You know, let's get better for these reasons. And that seems to help. And again, model that behavior you know, yourself. When we've had those interactions with you know people on teams that just aren't giving it the effort what i try to do is again like i said put out an all-out effort because at the end of the day sometimes after you've had those conversations after you know you've tried different things at the end of the day you just can't let them affect how you perform and that's what it comes down to 
it's tough. And that's the tough thing about being in leadership positions, because what is leadership? There is a lot of definitions out there, but you know, when it comes down to it, it's about essentially motivating a group of people to perform a mission. So by definition, you're relying on other people. So if that doesn't happen, you know, if you can't get them to perform to a certain way, then, you know, naturally you're going to take ownership of that as a leader. And there, there's some failure that you have to deal with, but there has to be a point where you can't let that affect what you do on a daily basis, what you do with the rest of the crew, what you do with the rest of the team. So um, though you tried, you welcome, you coach, um, you model that behavior, you still can't let that affect your performance and the, uh, the performance of the members on your team or your crew. I like that you brought up mission because I really feel, especially in the fire service the past couple decades, I mean, I feel like it's diluted down. I think we're losing focus on like what we're actually supposed to be doing. It's like when you talk about football or athletics, I mean, the mission's super clear. Ours is super clear too, right? It should be. It should be. It, it, I think it. I think it is. I mean, I think if you, honestly, if you went and asked a citizen, what's the mission of the fire department? Be like to save lives, put out my put on my house fire. I mean, right? Yeah. So we're. But now it's like well. You need to have shots for tots. You need to have smoke detector installs. You have to do, do car seat installations. I mean, like all you? the no, you don't. You really don't. No, I mean, I think it. Obviously, it does help to interact with the community, but I think it's been clouded by a lot of that stuff. And now we we you get can, away from what we really are there to do. Maybe it's once or twice a month. That's what we're there to do. It's like this. It's like my kid, right? Like, hey, your job is to clean your room. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to clean my room, but I also want to do this, and I also want to do this, and I also want to do this. I just need your room clean. I, I just, I, wait, would it. you just do that? And then we can do all the That's other all stuff. all I expect of you. I, we can do all the other stuff later. I think it's super important to do all the other stuff, but if you don't clean your room, you can't do any of that stuff. Yeah, I need your room cleaned. And then... So I need you to show up to my house when it's on fire. I don't care about all the other stuff. Just make sure you show up and you're ready to go. Right. I don't know, Dave. I mean, I just, I think that, I think that it's been diluted. You know, the mission, I think we've lost focus on it. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think overall the mission, everyone on the fire service and the stations that I've worked with, at the heart of it, you know, we're all there to serve. Now, depending on, you know, if you're on the streets um, if you're in the office, sometimes, you know, the specifics of that mission is compartmentalized for a good reason, taking fire prevention or t- taking operational approaches to it. But I like to have those conversations. I like to be fairly clear when, you know, we talk about our expectations that it's grounded back to service and response, especially, you know, working, you know, on a fire engine. That is the number one goal. How we go about getting everyone on the same page. I think it comes back to just that value of being prepared. And, you know, in the same sense, when we talked about coaching, as a leader, sometimes, you know, you come into a situation, you have a team of varying degrees of skills, attitudes, and whatnot. You know, now you're essentially filling a role as a coach. Now, I don't know any good coach that comes into a situation and then, you know, bad mouth is the the performance of the players that they have. There's nothing to be gained for that. But what a good coach does is go in, you know, meet the players, assess their strengths and weaknesses, and then collectively 
try to get better. I think if we can communicate that, like, hey, what our goal is, is to serve the public or meet these responses. And I've noticed that we're slacking, so we need to do some dedicated training for that, and we're going to do it. I've never had anyone argue with me about that. So I think if we come in there and start talking about, hey, you know, you don't do this right, we need to be up to speed, hey, we need to take time to get people up there. And that's, you know, as that team aspect, again, leaders, coaches, um, it's our responsibility to help those that, that may not be up to that task. This episode is brought to you by us, more importantly, our Patreon, and most importantly, our Patreon members. If you like what you're hearing, think about joining us. Head on over to the-standard.us, and for as little as $3 a month, you can get extra episodes, discounts on gear, monthly conference calls. So head on over to our site at the-standard.us. And remember to always like and subscribe. Back to the show. There's a certain amount of seats that we need to fill every day, right? We have our staffing levels. And, you know, not everyone is going to be that A-plus firefighter. But at a certain point, you need to make the decision to tell somebody, hey, this is probably not the job for you. I've heard this before, but it resonated with me just because I was I was reading something he said, you know, slow to hire, fast to fire, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it just kind of resonated with me as far as when, when do you know, how do you know that you don't have the right person and when to get rid of them? You know, do you keep putting time in? And I think it, the answer is, it's on the front end, right? Very deliberate on whether it's hiring them for the job, whether it's putting them on your crew, whether it's an administrative position. It's a, it should be a selective process where, you know, it's very deliberate. Like, what, what can this guy do? What can he bring to the table? Is he the right fit? And then when it's not working out, we don't just keep trying to shove that square peg in a round hole, right? We just, it's done. Like, we got to make a change. That was just something that maybe, I don't know, could we focus more on that in the fire service? Is it realistic? Fortunately, I don't feel like I've ever been in that spot. There's been some times where we've had some differences of opinion, you know, just with personalities and daily operations. And what I find a lot of times is people will naturally navigate to where they're comfortable. You know, like I said, I don't like to deviate from our main mission. Hey, we're going to be prepared and if we're a little behind the curve, then we need to do a little bit more training. Um, we may need to sacrifice a little free time to do it to get up to speed. But also understanding that that's going to be a long process. That doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen, you know, in a couple shifts. You know, it's not going to do any good to can't catch up in 48 hours of stuff that's been maybe been neglected for a couple of years. But what I've had in the past where, you know, things, you know, we just didn't have share the same daily views of how, you know, the day should go. Sometimes people just, you know, went somewhere else, you know, but there's also been some negotiating, you know, involved. And I think that's part of being on a team and valuing your members is, okay, I get it. Hey, we need a little break or we need to shift our focus to this training, maybe instead of that training. But again, just coming back to those professional values is huge. And then as a leader, not getting seduced into the mindset of, hey, we're just there to relax. Some places that 
you know, that's strong. That's social influence, you know, that's social conformity that everyone feels. But as a leader, as, you know, a professional, trying to know what your purpose is, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, a few years back, I sat in on Frank Viscuso's presentation, Step Up and Lead, and he brought up the three U's. It was basically, how do you evaluate, you know, what we're talking about? Uh, the willingness of an employee to get better, you know, to do they make a good fit? Is it time to let them go? And What are the three U's? It's unaware, unable, and unwilling. Hmm. So you got a problem, employee. Are they even aware of what they're doing? You got to have a conversation with them, right? Tough conversation of like, hey, man, just so you know, this is what I'm seeing. This is what we're seeing. We need to make a change. And then now they're aware. Or maybe you go to them and they're like, yeah, I know. Um, I just can't do it. I don't know how. Hmm. So like I, I know I'm... That's an easy fix. Yeah, I, I know that I, there's a problem. And I just don't know how to do it. I'm unable. Okay, well, let's teach you. You know, let's let's show you the skill. Let's create a plan for improvement. And then we get past that. You know, if they can't improve and we've done our diligence, now we get to unwilling. You know, it's like that. that's that's the problem with can't really employee. Fix that. Yeah, it's like when somebody says... Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Well, I think then it's time to part ways. Yeah, we this ain't going to work then. How do you think you get to the ability to diagnose that? The unwilling? No, like well, that too, but like to see where they're at on the spectrum. Like how do you pull that out of somebody? Conversation? Yeah. like I mean, you got to sit down with them, right? Yeah, those can be tough though. Yeah, but that's not – is it really? I mean – I think for a lot of people though, that's a hard I guess it's uncomfortable, but I mean – it's doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like anything else. You get better at them as, as you go. Yeah. You know, like your first couple ones might be maybe a little rough, but it yeah, gets it's easier. It's kind of funny. You know, you, you were doing the, just doing like the role plays and stuff. And we were watching some script videos of this is how you handle role plays. And it, you know, and the, you have the officer sitting across from the problem firefighter, so to speak. And just what was being said from the officer is totally unrealistic. He was like, listen, here's how this meeting's going to go. I'm going to set out some parameters. We're going to be respectful. We're not going to raise our voices. So what are we talking about? And I'm like, dude. I- <laughs> no conversation ever goes like that, you know? Not a good one. No. Yeah, that's probably, you have the tough conversation, but you have it from the standpoint of like, man, I don't want to lose you, but like, we got to fix this. Right. Um, what do you think? I completely agree. I've been a strength coach for a number of years, which there's a lot of, you know, similarities between, you know, strength and conditioning and the fire service and, you know, basic professionalism in general. But I find that so training a large group of young athletes, you know, I'm willing to dedicate the time that to the student athlete that is struggling to find the right technique or is giving it all the effort, but just not clicking for whatever reason. I will work with you all day long. But there comes a point where, you know, the bad attitude or just not even acknowledging the instruction or anything like that or not wanting to be there and just being there because the coach makes you be there. It comes a point where I'm going to make sure you're safe, but then I'm going to go invest my time in people that appreciate and actually, you know, use the instruction and, you know, are are there to, you know, make it worth their while. Because I remember as an athlete myself, you know, I valued the coach's time. I wanted to learn from them. I wanted to, them to see me working hard. And then when I saw them working with, you know, people that didn't 
wanted to give him the time of day. That was frustrating as an athlete. So we got to make sure that if we're passionate about something, we're not spending our time with that 5% that we're not, we're not going to change their minds. But in doing so, sometimes you alienate the people that are on board and want to do their best. So that's something we always have to make sure that for myself that I don't do. I want to make sure that I got those you know, people that want to work hard and do the right thing. And that's where all my time's going to go. Yeah, I think, too, it's important to point out, like, even though you might determine someone's unwilling, I think you still have to, I guess, try to bring them back, right? Well, you, I mean, you also don't know... Why? Yeah, why? Maybe, so, yeah. maybe they don't... Uh, maybe you think they're unwilling, but they're really unaware. That's true. You know, they're unaware that they're giving off this unwilling attitude, but really they're just... If you told them, hey, you know, by the way, like, it, it looks like you just don't give a shit. Like everything you're doing today, everything you've been doing the last few months, it's like you don't even want to be here. Really? I do. I mean, I got this other shit going on, or, or I really, I, I'm having a great time. And you make them aware, and things could change altogether. I totally agree. If you've read that book, Can't Hurt Me, you know, by David Goggins, um, one of the things I got out of that was I liked the way he talked about one of his teachers. He said, You have to look past the scowl. And what that meant to me was he explained that he had a teacher. It was a nun that was hard on him for a good reason, was willing to help him out, but she had a scowl. And at first it was pretty intimidating, but, you know, he took the time and got to know him was the best teacher he had. Um, on the other end, someone that was warm and inviting, but really wasn't willing to put forth the effort. So I really like that, hey, you got to look past the scowl. Not everyone's going to be, you know, high-fiving you and doing jumping jacks, especially when we talk about youth athletics and we got a lot of personalities. Again, that can equate to the fire service too. But just what you said, I've seen that quite a bit. Depending on the makeup of your crew, you can have people who seem to be a little bit intimidated by more of the alphas of the group. You know, if you had prior military experience or you were an athlete at a high level, which you were both of those things. Have you noticed that people kind of approach you in a different way? No, I don't. I don't. If anything, it's humbling. I'm finding people that can do, you know, work circles around me, you know, show me things that well, I'm not very proficient at. And there's, it's always interesting. And that's, the, that's why I love the fire service and I love that team dynamic because someone brings something different that we can all learn from. The minute you think you know everything, just wait for take a big piece of humble pie because it's going to happen. I've never been in that situation. And maybe it's, you know, just the way I my mind frame, but learning from everyone, especially the youngest people. We get some someone in here who's a climber, and then you learn more about ropes and knots. You get someone in here who's a swimmer, and everyone brings something to the table. And I, I think in that team dynamic, we can bring that out. You know, As long as people are comfortable and think they're contributing, that's a huge part of being in a fire service. And that's like if someone's asking me about the fire department, that's one of the things that I love about them that I like to articulate the best. Like we get people from everywhere and you will be surprised who your hardest workers are. All right, so let's talk family for a little bit. You're a father to five kids, uh, ranging anywhere from, you know, eight, ten years old to now in their college years. And you've coached them growing up. You're strength and conditioning coach, football coach, wrestling coach, all that. I think sports is one of the best ways to learn life lessons, uh, especially as you – you know, get into your teenage years, uh, early 20s, you learn a lot of life lessons, a lot of, of good things from, you know, competing in athletics, being part of a team, playing at a high level. 
let's just talk about how sports can really form good life habits, you know, how both men and women can turn into like very good human beings through, you know, competition through sports growing up. That's one of the passions. I mean, that that was one of my passions growing up. First of all, my wife's Wonder Woman. So that helps the cause with five kids. And then we had to high five each other when we, I think we, we added it up and we were changing diapers for like 11 years straight, just with the ages of the kids and like every two years. But my wife is an athlete, you know, so we had similar views on the power of sports. And when it comes down to it, it's just having a purpose, if you will, because if you're passionate about something, it could be sports, it could be, you know, something else. But as long as you have a purpose, it guides your actions. It shows you what hard work and passion can do. And then everything else just kind of goes by the wayside. So um, getting the kids involved in sports and, you know, watching them is great. But what I like to see is them become passionate about getting better, Um, maybe foregoing some of the distractions out there, whether it be, you know, I mean, you got phones, you got video games, you got so many, you know, distractions out there to forego some of that to go be a good teammate and play ball to get better at your skills. I mean, especially early on, I mean, seeing that develop just organically, I mean, that is awesome. I mean, you can say, get off your phone, get off your video game all day long, but if they don't have a purpose or a reason or something else to do, it's really hard for them to apply that and see the value of it. And I think sports or some sort of activity provides them that purpose. Yeah, I think the biggest, I guess the number one lesson that sports would teach you, taught me, has already taught my kids, is dealing with failure. I mean, like that translates to everything in life. I remember when my son was, he was about eight years old and he had like, you know, in his mind, he lost the game, right? He gave up like some hit at the end or something. Devastated. Yeah, yeah. He just didn't perform to his best ability, you know, like thought. He really wanted to win. It was just me and him. Everybody cleared out. We were in the dugout. It was like an hour after. We just kind of sat there. He was really upset. Did you know in that moment, you're like, this is important? I think I started to realize it as we were sitting there and no one else was around. I thought, okay, yeah, this is turning into, this could be a great teaching moment. Does that put pressure on you? Do you like, well, the hard part is like, you don't want, you know, your, your kid's sad. He's upset. Like he's. He's down, and, and you obviously don't want any kid to get so down that they don't want to play anymore. Right. That they don't want to try again. And it was just a lot of conversation of like, hey, you know, like you're going to pick yourself up. Tomorrow's a new day, that type of stuff. Sure as shit. Next day, you know, Crushed gets to go ahead hit. I, I remember it. And he was so happy. And then after the game, you, we kind of reviewed what we talked about mm, the day before. It was like, call. see, I told you. It, it may have not turned out this way today but things always get better you know like there's always another shot at it and if you keep working hard things will go your way eventually you know it's a muscle that you need to build yeah pretty early like a comeback muscle you know yeah yeah i i I think that that's the biggest thing is just come a comeback from failure yeah definitely i mean you know we've all heard the thing success is built on a mountain of failures you know, and it's so true. But at the end of the day, you know, you need that that guiding spirit, especially kids and, you know, all of us essentially, to have someone 
pick you up, help you out, coach you, make make you better. Because there's very few of us that you know know how to do that early on. So in your life priorities, where does being a father fall? Like, what do you got? Father, coaching, provider, fireman, fireman, all that stuff. I mean, I know it's more of a rhetorical question, so maybe it's just more discussion of being a father is the most important thing. Yeah, but you need you do need to prioritize, like, because when when something comes in conflict with that, you need to be able to be like, well, hey, this is more important than this. So, so being a, a father is more important than being a fireman. Like, there needs to be some sort of level, well, especially when of, you're dealing with your kids. Yeah, but if you only put your like, hey, being a dad is number one. Well, then you let all this other stuff go that is like going to help you with that. You have to have a balance between all that stuff because if you let everything that's important to you go, that doesn't make you a good example for your kids, right? I mean, so is is it a balance? I see it more as this cocktail of different ingredients, you know, that mix together to to form who you are. That's the biggest component. I mean, it, it, you can't really isolate that. And I think when people try to, that's when the discrepancies and that's that's where it becomes tough. And that's where you have problems. You know, sometimes there'll be that conversation of, you know, you spend too much time at work or you're involved in work too much or you're spending too much time with your hobbies. But I think a lot of that stuff, you know, if you do it right and you know what your purpose is, enriches the other aspects of your life. It's difficult to see someone who hates their job or resents training or resents, you know, isn't all in in the fire service. It's hard to see how, you know, that person automatically has the light switch to go home and then be passionate about being a good example or coaching the kids or, you know, just leading that purpose driven life. Um, So I think it's that mix of all those things. If you're not taking care of yourself, then other people around you, you're doing a disservice as well. And that's why I think it all comes down to, you know, it's so important for each individual and especially leaders to, even though, like we talked about that West Point experience of put your soldiers first, take care of your soldiers. But in order to do that, you really have to optimize yourself and take care of yourself in order to do that. You have to prepare yourself you know, and that takes a deliberate and diligent effort to do that. And that goes along with parenting as well. I mean, before this kind of goes back to talking about having the recipe, you know, all these different ingredients and, and leading yourself is something you have to do before you can expect to lead anybody. Or you can even like put everything together in the bowl to mix up. Yeah. You got to make sure you have that. I mean, you know, those people at the firehouse, the Eeyores, who will come in and be like, oh, everything's terrible at home. I'm just going to bitch about my spouse and whatever. Like, no one's going to follow that yeah, person. Yeah, or it could be anger too, you know. Sure. But it's like, it, ultimately, it, it's kind of like a dumpster fire at home that it's brought into work. And like, why, am I, why do I want to follow you? I don't. <laughs> like, you're having like a horrible <laughs> experience. Like, now you're telling me like, hey, this is probably the this way you should, we should do, do it. But... I'm like, dude, your wife hates you. Why, <laughs> why would I want to follow you, you know? <laughs> That's a good point. Well, like we all go through those times of having low spots and marriages and and I think that's also important to be like to show people that you're going through the same shit they are. Yeah, man, yeah. like and I, and you're trying, you know, that's the interesting thing, you know. It's like we've all had these low and high seasons in our marriages, you know, we've we've worked together for a long time. But you're kind of looking at guys 
and watching how they handle it, you know? Yeah. Like, are they putting in effort? Are they, are they really, like, are they invested in trying to, when it's possible, are they trying to make it better? Because, like, we all know what that effort looks like. And when they're not, and when they kind of just, they act kind of like a shit bag, you're kind of like, come on, man. Well, it's, I think it comes down to, can you overcome adversity? Yeah. Regardless of where it is in your life. Yeah. Because it's not like the people who overcome adversity only do it at home and then they suck at work or they only overcome adversity at work and then they're terrible with their family. It's just like, how do you handle pressure? You know, at the end of the day with the five kids, you know, I want my kids to know that dad was loved his job and was passionate about it. So when that they're older, that they can have that, I don't remember my dad being all grumpy all the time. Or I don't remember him cursing about his job all the time. So maybe I'm on the wrong track here, and maybe that'll give them some guidance and, you know, a good standard of what to look for in their own career. All right, so let's just go back to your decision to enter the fire service. Why, after being at West Point, Army, all that, did you choose the fire service Seems over? like police would be an easy, well, I mean, a lot of guys, a nice, easy, I think it's like, like easy transition. You think more guys go to the PD side? I mean, I think it's probably changing. Yeah. But go, like, gravitate towards the PD side over over. I don't know. Fire. We have a lot of military members. Uh, yeah. You know? I mean, I think it's like you're looking for that team, that camaraderie, that... It's the ones that, who could score higher in the test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I think everyone's looking for purpose. Yeah. And I think you can find it in either one of those avenues. But, like, why did you choose the fire service over becoming a cop? The Army, the great things that, you know, the military... Um, brings out is is that team and that mission and that purpose. So, you know, the civilian jobs weren't as appealing because it kind of ruined it for me. I want to do something cool. And that's a purpose for me. I can get excited about that. So looking at how can I do that in the civilian side so I can serve my community as well and grow some roots and be here for my family, you know, you naturally look at law enforcement. But my time over in Iraq, you know, showed me time and time again that the enforcement side was part of the job at times but what I really enjoyed and I think was came more natural to me was helping helping people out in some of those traumatic times Um, and I wanted to challenge myself to be better at that and instead of essentially you know making it better for you know someone thousands of miles away I wanted to do that in my own community and then I also had you know, those interactions with fire service members across the nation. Growing up, a lot of my coaches were Phoenix firefighters. You know, they were passionate about what they did. You know, they all seem to have share that same characteristic of wanting to help, you know, the way a good coach would. You know, it came back to that as well. And then I had a one of my best friends growing up. He was a, a Phoenix police officer, and he even sees that. He sees that, you know, there's there's that team aspect. There's that very, you know, significant mission that firefighters have and that they're passionate about. So, you know, at the end of the day, I just felt more strongly to help people rather than, you know, enforce, have that enforcement side. You know, a lot of us go to conferences, mo- mostly if it's like lecture based, it, it centers around tactics and leadership. But, you know, Dave, you got a master's in organizational management, like leadership, essentially. You're working on a doctorate right now. How do you sit in on these 
take in all the info they're given because it's everybody's got their own little style. Uh, what what's worked for them? How do you bring it back? That seems to be a tough thing for people to go out, learn some stuff on their own, and you're bringing it back to an organization that may or may not be receptive to it. We've we've seen it. You know, not necessarily from us. Craig and I, but people who come to our class, yeah, but also other guys in our department try to bring stuff back, and it's not really well received at times. Um, you know, it can be a multitude of reasons, but you know, for those that are doing this, I mean, Dave, you, you, you're highly educated, have a wealth of knowledge. What would you say is the key to bringing it back? And that's what we're all trying to accomplish by going to these things. I mean, you know, I've been a student of leadership for a long time. And part of the reason why I went to West Point was, you know, I admired those people that were scholars and warriors. And that's been a philosophy, you know, going forward. Um, so studying that, you know, reading all the books, going all those, that's something I'm passionate about. And you've probably heard it the same. So, so what do you hear when, you know, you go to, you know, a leadership lecture and, you know, they start talking about what good leaders do? What's the normal reaction that either you feel or you hear from the crowd? There's that automatic deflection, you know, would you mind giving this to my officer or would you give this to the members in my organization or they need to hear that. And it's kind of automatically deflected. Like I'm good. I know this stuff, but it's almost like a defense mechanism that I've noticed. And these are people that are passionate about it in the crowd. It's really tough, you know, at the organizational level to be able to, I guess, effectively teach that and expect it to be disseminated clearly without confrontation or anything like that. A few disclaimers. The big disclaimer is your organization and the people around you will let you down and you have to accept it. And you can't let that affect, you know, what you do personally. And that's not an indictment on any organization or anyone in particular. That just means, hey, there's going to be some misalignment with expectations. And I'll tell my own guys this, hey, I'm going to let you down. I'm going to do my best not to but at some point, you're going to think I need to do something and I don't do it to your expectations and I'm going to let you down. I don't want that to affect your purpose or how you react to it or your actions. I don't want that to interfere with you know what you're doing. But the big part of it is accepting the fact that your organization and people are going to let you down. It ends that cyclical, frustrating loop of if only my organization would do this, or if only my leader would do that, then we could get to the next level. By just accepting the fact that people and organizations are going to let you down gives you the freedom to take care of business yourself. I think it comes down to a circle of control, circle of influence too. You know, when you've got this global view of or this goal that's super wide ranging, right? You want to affect the entire department. You want everybody to listen. When it doesn't happen, you kind of have to bring it back to yourself, you know, and, and on the surface, it might seem selfish, but when you think about it, it's like, no, what can I affect? Like, what do I have control over? Sometimes it's just your firehouse. What do I have influence over? Sometimes it's just the four to eight guys you might see on a regular basis. But you always have it over yourself. So That's I think true. when you get, when you start to get feeling like down about, hey, man, I tried to put together this thing for the department and it fell on its face. And it's like, okay, how am I going to react to this? And 
I know that I can always affect myself and I got to start there. But then the other side of it is like, if it was that good of an idea, everyone would have bought off on it. So either the way that I presented it was not good or or, uh, what they needed to hear. And so the next time I go and try, I got to do it different than the way that I did it before. And maybe it, maybe it is the right idea but it's not the right steps to get there. Yeah, Maybe or if it's just not, not the right the organization's time. not in a place to take this huge step that we've got to figure out a different plan that has like little baby steps to yeah. get there, you know? And it's like, okay, so now what are you going to do? You're just going to, you know, one thing that I've seen is that people will say, man, F this place, you know, don't even try. Like I tried to put this thing together and they shot it down and, you know, it'll never get through. That's one path you can go down or you can be like, okay, good. The next time I come back, I'm going to make it bulletproof. There's going to be no way that they can say no. Or you, but you can also redirect. You don't have to what completely, mean? I mean, just redirect on the ones like, like I was talking, circle of influence, right? You start small. And, or just and spend a lot of your time then on the ones that are receptive. Right. You know, and be okay with that. Yeah, but you also don't want to just preach to the choir, right? You want to be able to push yourself a little bit to be like, all right, I know I have this this group's down, they're bought in, but I want to, you know, maybe make this a little bit bigger. You have to take those risks and fall on your face and then kind of recalibrate, figure out a plan of why what you just proposed failed and try it again. It's like a big reality check. Exactly. And that's one of the things, and like I said, I want to emphasize, it's not an indictment on any organization or, you know, any one person. The idea is that, you know, for instance, hey, we need training. All right. Well, here, here's some department training. Oh, well, that's not the training I like. So right now we're dealing with, hey, you're being let down, but you're getting what you're asking for. And again, everything's going to misalign. But if you have that disclaimer that if I want things to happen, I need to make them happen myself and I can't rely on other people to, to do those things. Now, one of the things that moving forward with this is it allows people to now take control of their own actions. So rather than deflecting blame on other people and organizations, now it's time to do the work yourself. And again, having that allows people to now start working towards that rather than relying on you know, the perceived inadequacies of other leaders or the department. I hope that doesn't come off as selfish or self-fulfilling but it's trying to bring it back to that stoic philosophy of, you know, it has ties to that serenity prayer. You know, grant me the serenity to accept what I can't control, the courage to control what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And the reason that is used with a lot of addicts, for instance, is because it gives them control. So you're not relying on anyone else. What you are doing is having that introspective view of yourself, like what matters to me? What is my purpose? Okay. And that's a clarifying question because if you know what your purpose is, your epic quest, if you will, then you can make all your decisions based off of that. That will give you that fulfillment that you're looking for. Aaron Fields said it great at the Mile High Conference. You know, he has that bit about we need less heroes and more professionals. And I really took that to heart in the sense that when we start looking at professionals, we start looking at that craftsman being engaged in your occupation, your chosen occupation, and going all in. I haven't seen anyone who has been all in in their profession and loves 
what they do and not have that solace or be unhappy. It's just the opposite. I've seen people that, you know, don't like their job, really aren't into their profession, and those seem to be the grumpy ones. And I think it all comes back to having that purpose and knowing what your purpose is, you know, so you can endure those tough times. You can navigate those tough times knowing that, you know, you're just riding out the storm on the side of Mount Everest.